Hey, you're very welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast. This is episode number 69. Um, we just thought we'd do a quick podcast looking back at the World Cup. I think we could do a whole episode on extra time in the World Cup final on its own, but we're going to have a, a, a brief kind of overview over the World Cup because I think it's worth definitely doing. Um, before I introduce our guest, um, I just want to mention to head on to dailysportscience.com just for the elite coaching membership. And we're going to be running a good sale over the Christmas period. Um, and another thing to mention is we're just launching a course as well with Sport Horizon, which is data analysis and data visualization. And it's Power BI for sports scientists level one. So if you're using GPS or other data, this is the perfect solution for you how to visualize your data. So have a look at that as well. Okay, um, so we've got our guest, Derek O'Reilly. So Derek, I'm not sure did we actually ever play on the same soccer pitch together. We definitely played plenty of Gaelic football down through the years for Horswood in Wexford. But I don't know that we actually donned the, the famous colours of Campile at any stage together. I, I don't think we did, no. I think once you came along, I was dropped and that was the end of me. So. <laughs> <laughs> you were my replacement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you were like Guardiola to me, Xavi. Are we happy yeah, with that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough. That analogy, yeah. And P PJ Banville was um, Iniesta then, who retired both of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So Derek um, is an Arsenal fan, um, local to me here in North London, um, an avid fo follower of, I'm going to say football, Derek, football, soccer, whatever you yeah, want to yeah. use, um, uh, and a wealth of knowledge of Premier League, but also World Cup and international um, had plenty of trial back in the day over in England, and you spent a bit of time over here as well. Yeah, yeah, over in Cambridge for a while as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. fun times. Yeah. Good, good experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I suppose the only place to start really is, uh, and we've we've called this episode the messy masterpiece. Um, so like we watched them from the very first day and I remember even on our little WhatsApp group talking about the Saudi Arabia game. But even at that point, you could see this was kind of a different Messi than we had seen in previous World Cups. That yes, he was older and probably had slowed down, maybe didn't have that searing pace that he had in previous days. But it looked a little bit more like this was the Messi of Barcelona a few years ago, even, even against Saudi Arabia, let's say. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, it's it's hard to come up with new things to say about Messi, like, for you know, he has been the greatest for, as far as I'm concerned, for the last 10 years, I'd said he was the greatest, but I, th I think this tournament, he probably became more of a leader, I think, than, than anything, Um, I think that's the side of him probably that we haven't seen before, Um, yeah, you know, he dragged the team along with him, he was a common influence for the team, you know, when they needed someone to put their foot on the ball, slow the game down, he was that, when he sensed the team needed a moment, he provided that moment like it was it was probably more leadership than we've ever seen from him before um but yeah. it was just a phenomenal world cup performance like it's probably not as good as maradona in 86 but yeah. maradona was at his peak then you know messi was <coughs> at the age of 35 and and a few years past his peak Mm. but still producing those moments like that just that made such a difference in the end yeah it was it was really interesting actually <clears throat> during the world cup where some clips of Maradona were put up from the 86 World Cup and you just realise like how good he was in that tournament, you know, because you're used to seeing that like, you would remember better, obviously, than me. Um, but you're, you're used to seeing the hand of God, the great goal, everything like that. But I mean, his performance against Belgium in the semi-final, 
the amount of times he laid the ball on a plate for other teammates and they kicked it wide, kicked it over the bar, it would remind you of Messi where he just dragged Argentina through games in little moments. And I like what you say about him just slowing the game down. It was like it was like two different games were being played. You know, the Argentina were flying all over the place, putting in brilliant tackles, you know, re- really, really good organisation around the team. And then the ball would come to Messi and just with a little drop of his shoulder, a few little turns, laying it off, and all of a sudden, you know, the game would move on or Argentina it would produce a chance or something. I mean, I've, I don't know have I ever seen a player produce so many chances for his teammates as, as Messi. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's like he does everything. You know, he's top goal scorer and he's creating chances nonstop as well. He's dropping into midfield, spraying passes out to fullbacks, you know, stuff like that. It's 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 incredible the range of what he can do. Um, you know, I don't think we'll, we've seen that before. I, I don't think we'll ever see it again. Um, yeah. But, and, and as well, there was times in games throughout the tournament when Argentina were under pressure. You know, against Australia, they're two goals up. Against Holland, they're two goals up. And they look like throwing it away, but it's Messi that settles them down, you know, gets them back into the game. I think against Australia, when when they were struggling at 2-1, he was phenomenal in those last 15 minutes, yeah. carrying the ball forward and still setting up chances. Um, yeah. And like I said, he's doing it at the age of 35. And yeah. also, I think, like, to do it with the level of expectancy that's on him, you know, like, this was his last tournament. He's, you know, he's coveted the World Cup for his whole career it was the one thing the tractors had you know the one stick they had to beat him with was he'd never won the world cup he'd never had a tournament like maradona and he's coming in at the age of 35 with all that pressure into the tournament and yeah. to reach the level he did it, it's just phenomenal like it's yeah you know it's his greatest achievement that it probably sounds silly to say someone win or obvious that someone win the world cup is a great <laughs> achievement but when you think what he's done in his career like to be doing that at 35 it's just it's crazy really yeah and it's true. I mean, the pressure on his shoulders. And I think in previous World Cups, he probably played with that pressure on him. You could see it was playing for Argentina didn't look like a joy for him before. Whereas you could see in this World Cup, I think even the goal against Mexico in the second game, the shackles were off. And you could see how much it actually meant to him, you know, get 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 that little moment. And it looked like, OK, Argentina weren't going to be knocked out. But he looked like... Everything was set up for him. The team were playing for him. And, then we, and I know we'll touch on Argentina in a minute. It actually looked like Argentina were playing for their country, for the team, but also for Messi, you know, and, and it kind of, it, it brought him to another level. Whereas maybe in other years, and we could talk about the manager's role in that, in other years, it nearly made the other players around him worse. In this case, I mean, I've never seen in the first half, of the final, I've never seen a team flying into tackles and getting around the pitch and looking for second balls like the Argentinian players. And it was just, it was wonderful to see, you know. But but before we go on that, like for you, and I know obviously you're a really big fan of Messi, but where does that leave Messi now, like in the pantheon of greats? With, with you know, I would have always thought like many people, Pele, Maradona. And then you have your Cruyff, Beckenbauer, Georgie Best, maybe, you know, in around there, maybe Zidane, um, Ronaldo, obviously, and, and Messi then coming on behind that, you know, in the latter years. But <clears throat> where does that leave him now, do you think? <laughs> and has it changed? As, as I said, for me, he, he was always up there at number one. Um, but 
like he did have his detractors who said that he needed to win a World Cup. Um, so I think I think he surpassed Maradona now. Um, I think what he's done over over you know such a consistent level for fifteen years. Like you talk about Maradona had a few good years, obviously a high level like one league with Napoli and that. But Messi had fifteen to sixteen great seasons. Like you know, um, it's it's probably a bit hard for us to talk about Pele. We've seen clips, but we haven't seen full matches. So I, I think it's a you know maybe a bit unfair for us to, to compare him to Pele. We, we probably would have needed to see more. But mm. of players I've seen, like definitely the, the greatest for me. Um, yeah, and I was a huge fan of Maradona before that. I thought we'd never see anyone like Maradona, but Messi <laughs> something else. <laughs> yeah, I and you, I mean you always mentioned about Messi just in comparison with Maradona is the pure consistency isn't it of, of I mean Maradona had incredible years with <coughs> with Napoli winning Syria um, but he wasn't the most consistent player and he wasn't even the most consistent player to like line out for his club teams and, and international team and everything I suppose that the highs of 86 I don't know will it ever be surpassed you know it's hard to think of it who knows maybe Mbappe next World Cup or you know we, we don't know I suppose um, as you say Messi nearly achieved those levels at the age of 35 and he, he nearly did but but the club career of Messi it's hard to see anybody surpass his achievement is it you know even when you compare to, to, to Maradona yeah, like, I, I mean, for 15, I think it's about 15 seasons, he's been averaging 40 to 50 goals a season, you know, and and probably about 20 assists every season as well. Like, it's not just goal scoring, it's, it's a bit of everything. And he, like, he plays 40-odd he, games a season. He doesn't miss many games either. So, yeah. he, you know, even though he's getting kicked in that, he's, he's getting back up, he's getting on with it. Yeah. He doesn't miss games through injury. Um. And, and to be fair, it's the same with Ronaldo. Like the two, the standards yeah. the two of them have set, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was 10 years ago, 2012, I think it was, he scored 91 goals in a calendar year. Like, we would never have thought we would have seen something like that, um, that kind of record. And and as I say, that's on top of creating chances for teammates as well. Um, that was 10 years ago, and 10 years later, he's still producing. He, he, I know. Like, he has... I think it's 18 goals this year alone for Argentina. Like Jesus. just international football. Yeah. Um, he has over 30 goals this calendar year again and 30 assists. Yeah. And and you know, it's, it just shows no sign of slowing down or stopping. It's 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 incredible. Even when you think of Haaland is a scorer, uh, but not really anything else, you know. Yeah. Um, Mbappe can do more, certainly, you know. But I mean, even the, the thing I love about Messi as well is just uh, like the, the penalty in the shootout and I was I it was in extra time and like yourself and like everyone it was the perfect story you know it was 2-2 Messi is going to win it it's like 86 with Argentina Maradona you know Messi steps up gets the winner it was the fairy tale ending then all of a sudden the lunatics of defenders for Argentina like you just knew they were going to give away a penalty or something because they were diving at the ball and I wasn't surprised it was a penalty, you know, in extra time. Mbappe equalises. Mbappe scores his third penalty in the shootout. And I'm thinking, oh, no, Messi's going to miss this. Yeah. Argentina are going to lose. And it's just going to be like a dampener on everything. And I just think, like, even the way he stroked the penalty home, it was nearly like it just gave the confidence 
to the rest of the Argentinian team. And I, I don't know, from that moment, I just felt, ah, oh, no, they, they've got, you know, they're just not going to be beaten after this. And it's incredible. He just, he doesn't seem to feel pressure. And maybe, maybe that's, maybe when you're a genius, you just kind of, you do it because, okay, yeah, well, that's what I do. That's what I'm here to do, you know? Yeah, and like the penalty summed it up in, a, yeah. in the shootout. Like he was just so calm. Yeah. And like we talked about the expectancy and the pressure that's on him and to be able yeah. to remain that calm and, and in the shootouts, even more so. Yeah. You know, he'd already scored. And you know, yourself, <coughs> the second penalty in a match is a lot tougher. You know, yeah. maybe read you a bit more, has a fair idea where you're going. And the way he stepped up and put it away, like yourself, I, I was fearful that he was going to miss. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have the best record on penalties either, you know, in the past. Um, but like you said, I think the way he dispatched it, the coolness which he did, settled the team down as well. And, you know, as well, we've seen in World Cups before and, you know, we've seen with egotistical players that like to be the last in a penalty shootout to get the win. Yeah. There's none of that with Messi and Mbappe. Like, they wanted no. to be forced up. They wanted to, you know, set a marker for their teammates to follow on. And yeah. in fairness to the two of them, like, there's... There's not much ego there, you know, yeah. when they win the tournament. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was such a cool penalty, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just while we're on the penalties, <laughs> another fella with maybe a slightly bigger ego, uh, the goalkeeper, Martinez. I, I read a really good Twitter uh, thread today by a, 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 he's quite a famous goalkeeping coach. I can't remember his name. And he breaks down the whole process of the penalty shootout and what Martinez does and like he just intimidates the opposition players and obviously he did it remember in the Copa America final against Brazil he did the trick again he did it against Holland you just kind of feel that this fella is, is not going to be beaten you know and in ways it, it was no surprise to see Argentina again coming through a penalty shootout yeah, and, and once it went to penalties, I was pretty confident that Argentina would win it because of Martinez. Like, his record yeah. is, is very good on penalty shootouts. And, you know, he does have those mind games that he uses, or shithousery, some people might call it. But, uh, you know, it does work. And on top of that, he's, he's also a very good shot stopper. Like, it's it's not just the mind games. Like, he's, he's very good at stopping shots and getting across to it. Like, even Mbappe's penalty in the shootout was excellent. Mm. Martinez still gets a hand to it. He goes the right yeah. way. He's very close to stopping it. Yeah. He, he just he just has that in the big occasion. Like he's won yeah. Cup America for them as well. Um he, he seems to relish it. Like he really enjoys it. You know, he the one-to-one yeah. -one with the strikers, putting them off, setting my games. <laughs> he kicked the ball away for a couple of defenders, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he, he did. He got booked. Yeah. Um, but do what it takes yeah. to win in a shootout. Yeah. Any little mind game yeah. that can work, you do it. And fair play to him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, in, in, in just moving on to <clears throat> Mbappe, like, I suppose for probably 70 or 80 minutes, he, he, it wasn't his day. He looked frustrated. He kind of thought that, you know, it's just, it's not going to be his tournament and everything like that. And then he just explodes into life. And <clears throat> from that point onwards, it kind of looked like every time the ball went near Mbappe, it's like, for me, I was like, oh no, France are going to score here, you know, and, and like even, even the very last kick of the game in, I'm trying to think, like was it extra time or full time? 20 minutes, yeah, where he went on that run, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I thought, oh my God, he's going to actually score another, there was another one that he whipped in across, 
and the centre forward is so you know nearly got ahead to it. The ball nearly bounced into the net across the goal. He just became a different player, and he he kind of became the player that we've all seen in, in at times with PSG and France, where like this fella is actually unplayable and in ways like rightly takes on the mantle now of the best player in the world from Messi, you know, going forward and being the new kind of global superstar, I would expect. Yeah, and and it's also stepping up to the plate, you know, you know, he's I think he's still only 23, isn't he? 23, yeah. 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 And like he's he's like I said, he stepped up to the plate. He gets the hat trick in the final, he's taking the penalties because I mean if you remember a year ago he missed the vital penalty in a shootout against yeah. Switzerland in the Euros, and yeah. you know, and got a lot of criticism in France over that. Yeah, and, you know, some of the French public were turning on him, and then this tournament, every time there's a penalty, he's stepping up to take it. You know, he's not shying away from it. Yeah, when they needed him yesterday with, with 10 15 minutes to go, he produced the goods again. Um, yeah, and like you were saying as well, with the Argentinian defenders the way they are diving into tackles, like you thought this guy's going to get another penalty or two out there. I know. He was taking them on in the box, like you said, that last one in, at the end of 90 minutes. Yeah. You know, he slaloms his way through and has a shot that's blocked and he's just capable of winning games on his own. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. He's, not, he's probably not as, when you think of Messi and, and Maradona and even Zidane, Ronaldinho, it's more like art, whereas with Mbappe, yeah. it's just electrifying pace. And, and, <coughs> you know, and that's what defenders hate. So yeah. he's a bit different to the others, but... Still fantastic to watch. Yeah, I, I, I actually really, I, I have a liking for that kind of uh, fast, powerful player like, you know, Brazilian Ronaldo, Mbappe and everything like that. It's a difference. Whereas Messi is a technician, you know, and an artist. And Zidane in some ways was similar, you know, even though much bigger, more physical. Um, I do like those players. I was just looking at the stats, the World Cup stats of goals. So Mbappe now has 12 goals in 14 games, which puts him... Sixth, Messi has 13 goals in 26 games. Like Messi, uh, Mbappe at the age of 23 has 12 goals. Close from Germany has 16 goals, which is the most uh, ever. Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, then is 15 goals. Like he's he's kind of, I mean, he nearly won two World Cups by the age of 23. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, it's kind of incredible what's what he's achieving. Just the, the I, I think we, we have to mention, um. Uh, Scaloni, the manager of, of Argentina, and just like how he's managed to set them up. And like, I usually prefer Brazil than Argentina in World Cups. It's just, you know, back to Rom- Romario, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, etc. Um, but I have to say, I loved watching this team. And we, you know, mentioned briefly just about that, the fight in those players. But I mean, you had players from, from Brighton, a sub from Man City. You know, other players who were Otamende, who was finished a good few years ago with Man City, but yet here they are winning the World Cup and looking like absolute world beaters. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is down to Scaloni. Um, I think the job he's done is absolutely amazing. Like, great, you know, he got, got the job as a part time basis four years ago after okay, they kind of struggled badly in the World Cup. Like, they were looking to get through the group stage of the last World Cup. Um, scraped a win over Nigeria to get through and then went out tamely in the last 16. So like, yeah. and they were an agent team and then he takes over one Copa America since um, and then obviously win the World Cup. But like, it's, he'd never managed before. He's his first managerial job. And so to do that it is incredible. Yeah. But I think, like you said, tactically, he was just superb. Um, yeah. And especially yesterday, uh, you know, you look at 
where you could get at France before the game, you're looking at it and you think, well, England and Morocco both got a lot of joy down France's left, you know, with Mbappe not covering back, Theo yeah. Hernandez is more yeah. of an, an attacking fullback. And England got joy with Saka taking on Hernandez, cutting inside. Morocco created overloads on the right-hand side and got a lot of joy there as well. So that was the obvious place to get France. And um, Scaloni picks uh, Di Maria from the start, throws him in. And you think, right, that's what he's going to do. He's going to look to exploit that on the left. And instead, he plays him as an out-and-out winger hugging the touchline on the, on the right-hand side of the French defence. And I think that probably threw France a good bit too. Um, you know, it's just, they really exploited in the first half. Like, um, you, you look at the, the French fullback, Koundé, uh, who's a, a natural centre-half, you know, and playing out of position as fullback. And a lot of the time, when the centre-half is out there, they like to defend narrow. They like to stay close to the other centre-backs. So Koundé doesn't like going wide. Yeah. Di Maria hugged the touchline. Argentina got ball after ball out to him. Koundé didn't know what to do. Um, and times when he did defend narrow, it was up to Dembele to come back and defend. And, Disaster. And he doesn't want to do that. And then, you know, they get the first goal through that. Dembele's yeah. in a position where he doesn't want to be. Yeah. And, and Koundé's inside and he gives away the penalty. And then for the second goal, Koundé has to come across. This time, Dembele isn't tracking back and Di Maria is left free on his own. So... I think that that masterstroke by Scaloni uh, in the yeah. in the first half, France took a long time to come to terms with it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and then there was other little tactical things like Messi swapping <coughs> deep and Uber Meccano was following him, and McAllister who had the game of his life was going in behind Messi into the spaces. Alvarez was going into the spaces. So, um, and and again the second goal came from that Messi left space behind him that McAllister went into, and he was the one who squared it across for Di Maria. So, I think. I think with Scaloni as well is in international football is so much different uh, to, to club football in that it's game to game tactics. You're not going to get loads of time on the training pitch to you know yeah. have your philosophy and your ethos. It's it's working on game to game, and every match Scaloni had the tactics perfect, and he, he chopped and changed a lot as well. Like he changed formations a fair bit, so it's not just that this was his one tactic and he had that. You know they they tried something different every game and. The proof is in the pudding. They 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 got better every match too. Like and which is what you need for tournament football. You know, you have to improve every game and then you know peak in the final and, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And even like for, I mean, they had some absolute jewels in there in midfield as well, didn't they? Like the the Paul was like I don't know, he was like Sonny Carleone, Carleone from The Godfather with the square shoulders and he was bossing everyone around the pitch, and you could see a really good relationship. You know, between him and Messi, he was kind of like the enforcer. McAllister, like you say, there was like superb in the final, but also right throughout the tournament. Um, Fernandez, isn't it? The, the young, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so who is he with actually? What's his club at the moment? He's with Benfica at the moment. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yes, that's right. That's right. Okay, another great young Argentinian coming through Benfica. Um, you know, but they had some absolute jewels and and even just like the. You know, it's it's simple stuff. I know to move away or move beyond just the tactics of just those players look like they would die for the manager, die for the team, die for Messi, and of course that can have a big impact as well. You know, um, and I, I it was really interesting to see at full time or at the end of the game when they had won, and they didn't run off crazy celebrate. They just looked like first of all they looked physically exhausted, mentally exhausted. 
relief like they were all on the ground <laughs> they were all on the ground crying um <laughs> instead of you know running to the fans and like crazy it, it Oh, it was it was amazing, and just to see the scenes in Buenos Aires, like today and last night, and everything like that as well. It there's something kind of special about football in Argentina, and and this team, uh, they just really lived up to it. I think, didn't they? Like they were they were very very worthy winners. I, I would say, yeah, and, and popular winners too, which is maybe a bit unusual for Argentina. But <laughs> I, like obviously a lot of that is down to Messi as well. Everyone wants to see Messi win one, but. Yeah, it's their attitude. I think you have to admire as well, like you're saying, the midfield. Like the Paul, yeah. I've never seen him work as hard the way he yeah. ran himself into the ground. Like he looked exhausted from about the 60th minutes, but he kept going. Yeah. Um, Fernandez, McAllister, midfield. Like they're doing messy running a lot of them. You know, he's he's having to do a lot of walking, really. Like, but he he is, and and the players around him are, are doing the running. But on top of that, as well as doing messy running. They were also closing down Griezmann in, in midfield for France, like who had been a major influence for them throughout the tournament. Yeah, and he never got a kick at the ball yesterday, and it, it, down to that midfield, working so hard, you know, closing down spaces every time Griezmann got on the ball, he was pressure was on him straight away. Yeah, and, and you, you're not surprised by those midfielders at the end of the game they're collapsing because they put in yeah. some shape to be there for them. <coughs> yeah, it kind of typifies Argentinian football as well, like you know the. You have your artists like Messi and Maradona, but they have no cases as well, and lads who will run nonstop, and, uh, and they love their country, you know, which is yeah, part of it as well. Like you know, they, they do want to do it for their country, and and even I saw a few people like complaining about Argentinian celebration at both after the Dutch game and also like in the dressing room. Some pictures came out of them. It might have been after the semi final as well, um, and also like you know some of the songs they were singing to the journalists and England and the Falklands and and like like Argentina's not Europe you know they're different they're a different culture and they're passionate and like how how for, how can Otamendi play so inspired at the age of whatever age he is after being dropped by Man City years ago you know there's something special there amongst that group of players and playing for their national team and like I wouldn't be critical of that kind of thing at all, you know. And I suppose as well, this is elite sport, isn't it? This is like you see the fine lines between winning and losing and getting legendary status and not. So you know, when Otamendi goes and celebrates in front of the Dutch players after the penalties, I think, well, so what? I mean, that that's kind of what's made him the player that he he is, you know. Yeah, and, and just so many of those players need that passion, you know. Without it. Yeah. They're not half the players. And, yeah. and you know yourself, you use anything to get yourself fired up for a game. Whatever it takes, you get yourself fired up. Yeah. And a lot of these Argentinian players, they need that. They need that kind of confrontation. They need that passion. Um, and yeah. it works for them. And, yeah. you know, I think Otamendi, like, we can't believe he's still, he's still playing in World Cups, never mind winning them. And uh, have Romero flying into tackles at the back as well. Martinez and Man United didn't get a run yet, didn't get out yesterday, but he's the exact same. You know, they'll do what it takes to defend. And and then Martinez in the shift are the exact same. You know, it, yeah. It's it's sport. It's sport. Yeah. You do what it takes to win. And you can justify it. If you're the winner's medal, you can justify it. And <laughs> some of it is unpleasant, you know, if yeah. that shootout with, with Holland, it wasn't, you know, great to see a lot of it. But yeah, you know, I'm sure Holland brought the same stuff themselves. Like apparently there was, you know, a lot of between the two during the shootout so you can understand it it's a, it's a passionate sport and yeah 
no, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Give us um, give us a look at, at your um, River Plate jersey anyway. <laughs> There it is, yeah. <laughs> hey, nice. <laughs> old, and, and old school, old school as yeah. well. <laughs> um, you called, I thought you made a really interesting point. Um, so we we had our little World Cup kind of WhatsApp group where we were chatting through the games and stuff and, um, you know, doing loads of work at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> all through the day. <laughs> Best World Cup ever. Um you called France the West Germany of the modern era. So what, what did you mean by that? Um, yeah, well, when we were younger and coming into tournaments, you'd name your teams you wanted to win or expected to win. And, you know, the Brazils and, and even France back then, like Patony and, and, and players like that, you know, who, who you wanted to win tournaments. And then you thought, well, actually West Germany will come along and they won't play fantastic football, but they'll know how to beat teams. They'll spoil the party on, on favourites. And they get to a final or whatever without actually having any outstanding games or outstanding talents, you know. And France, I felt are a bit like that nowadays. They're not playing mm. fantastic football. Um, can be a bit dull at times under their shelf. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think you know he doesn't let them off the leash too often. Um, but they know how to win games. They know how yeah. to get to finals. They know yeah. how to spoil the party as well without being fantastic. They just. Yeah. Walkman like and get to the final. Um, and to be honest, I, I had written them off before the tournament because of the injuries they've had. You know, Benzema has been the best player in the world this year. Yeah. And, you know, if you consider a country without the best player in the world, you think they're never going to get to the final. They're missing yeah. the best player in the world. Pogba as well, have, even, you know. Yeah, you have Kante, Pogba. Yeah, um, and Kante, Jesus. Even, even in Kunku would have played a, a, probably a prominent role as well. You know, he's yeah. been sensational for the last year. So, yeah, it was a lot of injuries, and yes, France turn up just whatever squad they have, they win the games, they get to the final, and they finished the final yesterday with a very young team. Like the age yeah. profile of that team is, is very young, and they're going to be around for a long time. And yeah, I, I'd hope they'll get a manager who kind of lets them play a bit more and be a bit more attacking, but even if not. Mm. They're going to yeah. be there, thereabouts, and yeah, yeah, they're going to get the finals. Um, yeah, you know, great youngsters coming through again. You know, mm-hmm. you look at the whole defense, yeah, I think they're all in their early 20s or you know, mid-20s. yeah, um, and and I know, and I know, you have Mbappe, you have yeah, yeah, there for a long, long time. Yeah, I, w- I would have loved to see more of uh, Kamavinga. I really like him as a player, and and I, I, I'm the same, I wonder. You know, moving on from Deschamps, would they just let the let the shackles off a little bit? But, but I mean, his record is pretty spectacular. Yeah. You know, your I mean, Euro final in in 2016, Champions World 2018. Okay, Switzerland was definitely a blip in the last Euros because I, I think they had a real chance of winning it again, um, or winning it, and then obviously get you know within a whisker and and like you say. Also, with the best player in the world now, we think Mbappe going forward, um, they're going to have a have, have a real chance. What about your your old friend Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> <laughs> we had good discussions about about him. I mean, I I see. I know. I know. Roy Keane is very biased towards Ronaldo, and it's probably something to do with kind of the Man, Man United era and, and stuff like that. Um, but one part of me does think 
like have Ronaldo scores. Okay, he obviously doesn't score nearly as much as he used to, and he's obviously a massive presence, but he, he's constantly a danger on the pitch, and somehow he manages, you know, to get his name on the score sheet and stuff. But then obviously he was dropped, and you know, his replacement went on to score a hat trick <laughs> in his in his second game. Um, but anyway, give me your thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I'm, I'm not his biggest fan, but <laughs> as, as a as a person, but he's still been a phenomenal player. Um, yeah, I, I know there is this recency bias in, in football as well that we look at this tournament and he get judged on this tournament, you know. But he's mm. 37 years of age; like he, we shouldn't be expecting that he's going to turn up and score seven or eight goals in the tournament. You know, yeah. the fact that he's even still playing is it, fantastic. Um, yeah. you know, his scoring record has been phenomenal over the years. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just the other side of uh, that I don't like. You know, we, we spoke about how Messi led Argentina, you know, and was a real leader for them. Whereas I think what summed up Ronaldo was he was captain and they beat Uruguay, I think it was, and he spent more time trying to claim a goal that wasn't his rather than just most captains would say it doesn't matter who scores, they got the three points, we're through to the next stage. Yeah. Whereas Ronaldo was, you know, that was my goal and that's all he was focused on. But bizarre, like you'd 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 wonder what Bruno Fernandes, for instance, is thinking in that situation. They were the captain and the Portuguese FA apparently are trying to take the goal off him to give it to Ronaldo, you know, his yeah, teammates. Yeah. Bizarre situation, really. It is. And, and even the likes of Fernandes, I thought he was brilliant in this tournament, you know. And, and I think he came out of Ronaldo's shadow a bit and, and Ronaldo being dropped maybe helped him a little bit. or you know. And I think, I think behind the scenes, I think the Portuguese manager kind of set the tone that Ronaldo wasn't yeah. going to be the main man right from the yeah. start of the tournament. Um, yeah. And that kind of, you know, it unshackled the likes of Fernandez and, and other players to go and, you know, play to the best of their ability. They weren't just looking for Ronaldo to be the main man all the time. Um, and it was interesting in the, in the last group game, Portugal were through and the, the manager rested a lot of their main players, but he kept Ronaldo on the team and it was like, was he saying you have to prove yourself and this is a trial run and yeah. you know, he was scoring that South Korea game and then got dropped for the, the last 16 match? Yeah. Um, well, what a replacement for a young man coming in for a hat trick straight away. Just brilliant. You no, know, it's, it's the brilliant. manager then can, can have no doubts that he made the right decision. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'd still at the same time, I wouldn't like Ronaldo to be judged just on, on, on what's happened in this tournament. Like, I think what he's done for football, he is amongst the all time greats. Yeah, you know we talked about Messi scoring fifty goals a season. Ronaldo's been doing the same. Um, yeah, <laughs> we never thought we'd ever see someone having scoring rates like that over the over the long term, like over ten to fifteen seasons. And you know, yeah. Ronaldo's been doing it, been doing it at the highest level. And as well, he probably does need that ego. He probably does need to feel he's the main man to, yeah. to get to those heights. You know, and if yeah. he feels he's not, you know, he he's going to play that little bit poor. So. You yeah, know, I, I can kind of understand the, the ego side of him as well. <laughs> yeah, he needs it. Ronaldo was never going to age gracefully, was he? Like at the very oh. end of his career, and even the type of player he is, where he depended on speed and power and, and everything like that. Whereas Messi has found that role for him, and even like you make a really good, interesting point, even just that mentality. Whereas like Messi probably knows that others have to do the running for him. But then he responds in the right way by leading the team and like showing showing those absolute flashes of brilliance, you know, that no other player can produce. 
and even at this age. Whereas Ronaldo is expecting the running to be done for him, but without leaving the team. He's still, you know, introverted into himself in some ways that it's all about him. Whereas he needs to kind of, like, remember when he came off injured in the 2016 Euro final, he was brilliant on the sideline. He was like <laughs> leading the team and, you know, he was like a, a coach and a manager. And I kind of thought that, oh, he's, he's moving to another stage of his career. Um, but he didn't. <laughs> so, um, and it's, yeah, it's probably, it's probably finally caught up on him. So I, I, I had the idea, at least at some point in the tournament, of like, what has happened to the African teams? <laughs> and I know I had a, like a bias towards, I, actually, I don't think of Cameroon in 1990. I think of Nigeria in 94, um, to a lesser extent, Nigeria in 98. But, you know, Sunday, Alicia, and uh, just so many great Nigerian players. And I suppose Senegal in 2002. Uh, Ghana in 2010, wasn't it? They missed yeah, out on the yeah, semi-final due to and, yeah. that team. Handball, yeah, Suarez. Suarez. Jeez, I, I still am not over that. Um, and I was kind of thinking, like, where are the African teams? You know, and Egypt never do it, you know, even though they dominate in, in the African um, Nations Cup and stuff. And then kind of, <laughs> you set me straight, lo and behold. Okay, Saudi Arabia beat... Um, uh, well, okay, Saudi Arabia, Middle Eastern, obviously, but but Arab nation, but then Morocco, and like I have to say, I didn't see as much of Morocco as I would have liked. Um, but any time I saw them, I couldn't but be impressed by them and their like the, even their individual players and their technique and their their tactics. I mean, they were excellent. Yeah, and I think again, it's it's a bit like Argentina. I think they have the passion. To play for their nation and they also had a manager who seemed to be very smart um you know against spain i think their tactics were spot on they, they sat back and just defended and that's what you do against spain you let them have the ball and, and just they're not going to create much in dangerous areas if you just let them have it morocco done that perfect got the nil nil and, and then won the shootout and then portugal a little bit the same but changed up a bit they were a bit more dangerous on the break against portugal whereas they soaked up the pressure but then when they got the ball they were committing men forward and they were looking to hit on the break. And, you know, it, it was 1-0. Portugal could have equalised. But at the same time, Morocco had chances to make it 2 or 3-0. So, like, I thought they were really smart, you know, really well set up. Um, same in the group stages against Belgium. Um, you know, 2-0 win as well. Similar to Portugal tactics, you know, they're, they're sitting back, but they're hitting on the break. And again, they could have beaten Belgium by more. Um, yeah. And, you know, against France in the, in the semi-final, it, 2-0 on paper seems like it's one-sided, but Morocco had a lot of the play in that. And, you know, had they got one back, uh, you know, I think the France ball was late enough anyway, but yeah. Morocco were creating chances that were causing France problems. And again, I, I think it was down to the manager. I think he set up yeah. the team really well. Um, and they also had what you'd like to see in most World Cups is you have players coming from nowhere, the players you yeah. haven't heard of. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. Morocco... Amrabat and Nani in midfield were just fantastic. Like the ground yeah. they covered, their use of the ball was excellent as well. Like and yeah. I think they were two stars of the World Cup. Like we knew we knew about Hakimi, we knew about Ziyech, <laughs> but these two lads in midfield really caught the eye for me anyway. Um, yeah. but but even going back to what we said about African football, like all five African teams won a game in this World Cup, and that's the first time mm. that's happened. Um, okay. Then you have, I think, in all previous World Cups. 
African teams have never won more than three group games. This time they won seven group games. So like that's huge improvement for them. Uh, you had Senegal <laughs> getting through as well, even though they're missing their undoubted star player in Mane. So I think the you know it was very good for the continent. And, and even teams that didn't get through, like Cameroon beat Brazil, and for them that was nearly as good as as, as getting it's through. Great. You know, yeah. uh, one of the standout moments for me is Abubakar scoring the winner against Brazil. Yeah. He's right hard, shaking hands at the ref and walking off with the biggest smile on his face. That was World Cup final, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had Geneva beating France as well, which is another massive uh, goal for them. Um, yeah. And, and Ghana were probably, you know, a bit disappointing in the last group game that played great yeah. football. You know, they've won the stars of the tournament in Kudos as well, who was it was excellent in the group games, I thought. Um yeah. young lad with Ajax, I, I think he's gonna be really, you know, one for yeah. the future. And they just came up short against Uruguay. I thought they're disappointing in that match, but they still won a game at the World Cup. Um, yeah. they had a great match against Portugal, which was three two. So, you know, I, I think it's been a good World Cup for the African team. Yeah. And, and even the Asian teams as well, you know, you had three teams from Asian qualifiers getting through to the knockout stages in yeah. Japan, South Korea and Australia. So I think that was one of the great things about the World Cup. There was a good spread and it wasn't just the usual European, South American teams. Yeah. It was it, yeah. other teams were coming up to the fore. Yeah. yeah. And, and even, I know it's very kind of Anglo-centric here, but even having Australia and USA coming through as well, it, like you can imagine what, what that does for the audiences around the world as well. And even like leading into the, the World Cup in USA, Canada and, and, um, and Mexico. And actually, by the way, Canada, like even though they were knocked out early, they actually did quite well. You know, they, they, they played quite well at times and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, I agree. It was really nice to see Japan do well, South Korea, you know, but also a lot of the big teams did well also, you know, which is you do need that as well. I remember at times in the 2002 World Cup, do you remember when like South Korea ended up in the uh, semifinals, Japan in the quarterfinals, I think, and like all the big teams were getting knocked out constantly. You do miss having the big teams there as well. And I think having a final of Argentina and France was was something else, you know, they, like you want the kind of powerhouse teams. But yeah, it's, it's exciting stuff. Um, okay, we, we better talk briefly about England. So I'm actually quite torn. I'm, well, no, I'm not torn. I think there's two different trains of thought here where on the one hand, this is another good step forward for England. It was positive. They played very well at times. Um, against France, they weren't like dominated by a completely better team like they were, you know, at times against Italy in the Euros and and um, by who was a Croatia in 2018 World Cup. So like this is another step forward for this England team. A lot of good young players equipped themselves really well. I think Bellingham it was an absolute star. I think he's brilliant. In some ways. Maybe it's no surprise he's he's living abroad and, and playing in a different country, you know, maybe. Um, but on the other hand, you could say, again, it's another kind of missed opportunity. And like I would go back to, let's say, like a lot of people would, to the 2020 Euros played in 2021 against Italy. Like they will probably never get as good an opportunity to win a major tournament as being 1-0 up in the final at home, you know, the crowd behind you, etc., and they somehow blow it. And it seems to be always that 
they do well, but as soon as they come up against a really good technical team, the first team that they come up against, they lose and they go home. Wait, where, which side of the fence are you on on, on that? Yeah, I, I, I just think it felt a bit different for England this year. I, I think mm. other years they've got knocked out in the quarterfinals and they themselves probably felt they underachieved, but I was looking and thinking, no, that, that's where you are, like that's your level. You know, you look back at 2002, Brazil beat them in the quarterfinal. They were never better than Brazil. So, you know, that wasn't really a missed opportunity. Same yeah. in 2006, I think they lost the quarterfinal to Portugal. Portugal, yeah. The Italy team in 2006, England were, were not at that level, you know. So previous tournaments, when and even Croatia, go back to 2018, Croatia were the better team, you know, the better footballers. So I think they found their level in other tournaments, whereas this time, I think they were as good, if not better than France in, in that quarterfinal game. Um, I, they probably just lacked a bit of luck on the night. You know, some refereeing decisions could yeah. have gone for them. Um, but another thing they lacked is just that know-how to win. You know, mm. France didn't play great and just knew how to win the match. England were probably the better team and found a way to lose. And I think that's yeah. probably the, the regret they'd have. And yeah. the same in the final last year, you know, they were every bit as good as Italy and mm. got the perfect start to go goal up early on and didn't build on it. You know, they kind of mm. retreated into their shell in that final a bit. Um, whereas this year I felt... It's the one time they probably would have regrets because they were every bit as good as France and the better yeah. team on the night. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's probably a stepping stone. It's still a young enough mm. team. I think they're, they're not too far away. You have yeah. to say that, you know. Yeah. That final step of knowing how to win those big games. That's it. Like you mentioned, every time they come up against a team that's maybe ranked higher than men were, they never beat them. You know, yeah. and that's something they have to overcome because... They are as good as those teams. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was going to say. I think the whole, the whole apparatus, the whole process, the the juggernaut that kind of the FA and Southgate has created, along with like the academy system, the EPPP, you know, the pathways in the professional academies, the the facilities in the English club, the money in the Premier League game. I think they've finally like they've copped it. You know, they've they've yeah. kind of it's like they've, they've found a solution finally. And now I, I can see them, they'll win underage tournaments, you know, Euros, maybe even Worlds. They'll always be there, thereabouts in the senior, you know, in, definitely in Euros um, and in World Cups. I suppose it's, it's like you say, it's that last final step now that they, they've yet to crack, you know, that code they've yet to crack. And whether that's, like, whether that's a different manager who's a serial winner, but like who, you know, what English coach is a serial winner, you know, and um, I don't think they'll go down the route yeah, of a foreign coach. Like it's, you know, there was talks of Southgate losing his job, um, you know, would he stay on? But you only really get rid of him if you have someone better to come in. And the top managers nowadays, they don't want to be managing international teams, they want club teams. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. get rid of Southgate if you have someone better to come in, but I don't mm. think England have. I, I oh. don't think there's top managers lining up to take that England job. Um, you know, maybe five, ten years down the line, you might have a, a Guardiola or a Klopp might want to move into international management, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. But at the moment, I don't think England have a better replacement than Southgate. And, you know, I'm not convinced by Southgate either. I don't think he's yeah. you know, mm. the main man. But but to be fair to him, he changed the culture there. Um, you know, he has made the team a bit stronger. Uh, he's yeah. changed the mentality of it as well. 
And then you look at Bellingham, Saka, Foden, they have three world-class players that are going to be around for probably the next two World Cups. And the academy system, like you say, it's producing just, you know, Brilliant so players. Talents, you know, yeah. just Bellingham's 17, 18, whatever he was, and, and there's another couple of lads coming right behind him ready to, to take his place again. You know, yeah. so, like yeah. you're, you're working in the youth system over there. There's mm-hmm. some fantastic players, you know, playing yeah. under the 17s, under 19s oh, yeah. in, in academy yeah. football. Um, so I think they have, they have the players. Yeah. Um, they will have the players for the next 10 years, but it's just that winning mentality. Yeah. Um, I think I'll get it, <laughs> unfortunately. But then, but then we're saying as well, this France team is going to be around for a long time. So, and you have Spain with Pedri and Gavi, and you know, yeah, you know, I suppose that, that young, young teams as well. Um, that, that, Germany, you know, they're yeah. producing a few stars. So, probably football overall is in a good place. Um, but yeah, England won't be too far away. Yeah, and and that's the point, I suppose, isn't it? That. They're so close, but obviously, like in four years' time, France, we think, will be better, I would expect. Maybe not Argentina. You know, Spain will definitely be better. Germany will be better. I'd expect Italy will be back in there. We'd expect um, Brazil, you know, <coughs> lots of good young players as well. So, yeah, it, it, it never gets easier. And I suppose when you get your opportunity, you have to grasp it. Um, but uh, but I agree. I, I do like like Bellingham, Foden, Saka, Rashford steps up with England. You know more or less. Um, obviously, I think a striker, a striker, a new striker uh, for Kane, or can Rashford step up? Maybe you know. And and um, another one actually, we we he's kind of gone off the radar. Um, Jordan Sancho, you know, who who really looked like a top player a few years ago, um, has gone off the boil a little bit. Recently. I think he'll come back though. You know, he's yeah. quite young, and I yeah. think he's, he has the talent. You know, yeah, huge talent. You know, Man United look like they're improving this year, and that will help <laughs> him as well. I think he'll get back to decent levels as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't be too concerned about him in the long run. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, just, just finally, then, because I've actually I've really enjoyed our chat. It's, it's been really good. Um, the, I mean, first, well, first of all, is to mention. There is one part of me that thinks it's like when these World Cups go to different parts of the world, you know, it went to South Africa, Russia, I think kind of not worth mentioning now uh, with subsequent events, but it it can build a game, you know, and it it can bring interest. And when it went to Korea and Japan, you know, a lot of Asian people from other countries even were proud and happy. I know a lot of Arabic people, Middle Eastern people, North African people really enjoyed the World Cup being in Qatar. So, so I understand that and how you can help build the game and shine a light and everything like that. But <laughs> I still, I can't get beyond the fact myself, my own personal opinion without any kind of professionalism to it, that <clears throat> I don't think the World Cup should have been held in Qatar. I don't think it was the right country to hold it in. They didn't have the infrastructure. If you looked at some of the, the stadiums where they were, you know, less than half full at, at kickoff, um, the, the, the migrant uh, um, issue, you know, a lot of migrants died working there, the, the working conditions on the stadiums. I don't feel it was the right place to award the World Cup and also, you know, speculation about fraud and stuff like that. 
obviously you can then put that to one side and say the football was amazing and you could potentially say maybe like maybe alongside 1986 might have been the best world cup ever maybe you know 1970 1986 are the ones that kind of jump out probably the best final ever you could say maybe again 86 1970 was special in some ways um so like those two things can go hand in hand in some ways i think no i, I agree with that and I, th- I think most people feel the same you know you you can separate the football side of it and, and what fifa have done um and like you say it, it's a world game the, the tournament does deserve to be shared around the world and for each region to host it at some stage so it's only right that the tournament is in the in the middle east at some stage it's just the way they got the tournaments and you know definitely corruption involved there as well like you know and, yeah. and how they got it then you talk about the human rights record as well which is it, you know the number of migrants reportedly that had died you know building not just the stadiums the infrastructure around it as well um and we probably never know the, the, the true numbers in that like yeah i, I completely agree the tournament should not have been there the way they got it should never have happened yeah. and you know once once it got to that that you know stories came out about how they were got you know I've, i think i've seen a documentary about the the uh, the people that were involved in the voting and that and and you know once those stories start coming out you know they should have been taken off them really you know the, yeah, yeah. Uh, had the evidence there for the tournament to be taken away from qatar but you know i'm, I'm just shocked that it still went ahead you know that um but then like you said you separate that from the football the football was fantastic and yeah yeah you know, I, and i think you can separate it you know the you can separate FIFA and how the football more or less belongs to the people. Like, you know, the football yeah. is for us. Yeah. And we, we yeah. should separate that from FIFA. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, like I said, I think each region does deserve to have it. Um, mm. Qatar probably wasn't the right country, but, you yeah. know, the Middle East definitely deserves to host the tournament too. Yeah, it's, it's, hard to cho- it's hard to choose a country in the Middle East, yeah. which um, is an appropriate country. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and as well, you know, we are obviously watching it on TV and we think it's a great World Cup, but I yeah. think just reading stories of people who are there saying the atmosphere wasn't fantastic, you know, yeah. it didn't yeah. feel like a proper World Cup either. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it is that, I guess, that it's in such a small area. Um, and actually, the, the host nations games were probably the, the worst atmosphere of the whole tournament, which which is very surprising. Like, the, that was crazy. You get behind it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they had, what, 12 years to prepare for it. Yeah. To build a team. And the team went out without, you know, a whimper, like, and, and yeah. the fans never seemed to get into it. I, I think the first game yeah. against Ecuador, the stadium was was empty with 20 minutes to go. You know? yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, the host nation always add a huge amount to the tournament, you know, even yeah. if they're beaten in the first round, in the group stages or whatever. Like, that, that was really very strange, I found that, and, and really disappointing. I mean, something like, you know, the Euros in two years' time in Germany – is in ways a perfect location, you know, relatively, relatively smaller country, good infrastructure, great fans, you know, it should be a, a brilliant tournament. But yeah, of course, like especially the World Cup now, it being so big, you nearly need multinations and, you know, ideally spread around the world because we can't get it in Europe all the time, you know. Actually, that, that's a, a um, oh, by the way, so where would you, where would you rank the final? And where would you rank the tournament as a whole then? You know, thinking back over over the years, multiple tournaments. 
Yeah, and I was actually thinking about this last week. Like, where would you rank this tournament? And, and yeah. last week when I was thinking about it, I was thinking it was probably one of the best tournaments we've ever had. But it was lacking that epic match or epic epic moment that you, you remember forever. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> 1970 had uh, Carlos Alberto goal and then it had a fantastic semi-final yeah. between Italy and Germany. Yeah. 82 was another great tournament that had uh, the Rossi hat-trick. It had a, another great semi-final between West Germany and France. Uh, 86 had Maradona against England. So, like, all the great tournaments have an epic match or epic moment. Yeah. And yesterday with the final, you know, this World Cup got that, you know, yeah. a match that we remember forever. Yeah. Um, you had two, you know, you had the the legend that's Messi and then the he's, he's understudying, you know, and that <laughs> at them producing the goods. Yeah. Not just in the final, but throughout the whole tournament. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's probably it's up there, isn't it? The best tournament ever. You know? and <laughs> yeah. I remember 82 would be probably my first one as well, and that was a fantastic tournament. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think like this had everything you'd want from a tournament. When yeah. you think about World Cups, you want great matches, which we have. We have lots of good matches, we have good football. I don't think there was too many negative teams, there was no real parking of the bus. I think every team tried to play football um, and look to win matches. Um, what else do you want from the World Cup? You want surprises. It had yeah. probably the right amount of surprises, like you said. Yeah. The top teams get into the finals, but mm. you had your Japan beating Spain and Germany. You had South Korea beating Portugal. You know, so you had yeah. the right amount of surprises. Um, you want you want drama. The last mm. round of group games was fantastic. Brilliant. Drama, you know? The Spain Germany group in particular, like that night was just crazy. Um, yeah. And every, I think probably the first World Cup where you had every group went down to the wire. You know, there's something up for grabs on the last day in every group. So you had that drama. The quarterfinals were, were pure drama as well. Um, and yeah. All the four quarterfinals were on a knife edge. They could have gone either way. So overall, I, I think it was a fantastic tournament. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I Probably the, the time of year helps as well. Like, I think so, yeah. Cups, yeah. You're you're at the end of a long season, you know. Mm. Player, the top players are playing for trophies right up to you mm. know probably in the June, and they're tired. Yeah. They're probably playing through injuries, and and only playing at seventy percent. And then they get the end of the season, and they're into a World Cup. Yeah, but this World Cup, the vast majority of players were at their peak. At their know? peak, that's interesting. Yeah, and yeah. I think it showed. I, I think you know there was good energy levels in all the matches. There was no real slackening off. There was no. Teams came for nil nil because they were tired. Every every team went that and yeah, you know, fitness levels. So no, that's yeah. good. It's an interesting point. I, yeah, I I somehow didn't. I suppose I was more club centric of just thinking the disruption of the club calendar and stuff like that. And I know with QPR lads and stuff. Um, but and and also you know you'd be <clears throat> a bit of a traditionalist thinking that well the World Cup has to be in the summer and and. I mean, maybe from a fan experience of like, there's nothing nicer than, you know, grabbing a beer outside, watching the World Cup in the height of the summer and stuff like that, which is amazing. But like, on the other hand, I remember somebody mentioned tweeting, just saying that like, you know, sitting at home by the fire, watching games at, was it 10 o'clock, one o'clock? Was it three, three o'clock, three o'clock, three o'clock, and four and seven? I think four and seven, exactly. You know, I had like, and the thing is, is that you, you know me, I wouldn't watch, like, if Man United were playing against Brighton, I wouldn't watch it. You know, whereas give us, give me the World Cup, and it could be Ecuador versus 
you know, whoever, Costa Rica or, or Qatar, it could be a great game. You know, it could be rubbish, it could be terrible, but it could be an absolute cracker. And yeah, there's something and we got that really special, like, isn't there? What's that? They're, like, there's something really special about the World Cup. You know, it throws up these games. There is. And, and I think one, one day in the group stage summed that up. You had a, the Cameroon were playing Serbia. And, oh, yeah. you know, you think that's not much to expect here. And it's a three-all draw. And then yeah. that's followed by Ghana and South Korea is 3-2. Like, and you know, yeah. these nations that never play against each other and they're producing cracking matches. And, you know, yeah. like you said, it, it was a, a Brighton against, a, you know, a Southampton yeah. or something. You mightn't yeah. bother watching these games. But it's just something yeah. interesting about these teams that don't play each other <laughs> often. Different mm. footballing styles, different footballing cultures as well. So you have a mix of tactics as well. And yeah, just, just adds to it. It's, it adds to the whole spectacle of a World Cup. Yeah, interesting. Okay, really interesting. Yeah, I know I agree. I, I can't think of a better World Cup and I can't think of a better World Cup final, I'd have to say. Uh, just briefly to finish off then, what, <laughs> what about Ireland? Can, can we qualify? And, and even though I, I hate the idea, we've had, as we just said, let's call it the best World Cup ever. And then FIFA go along and change it from 32 teams, which is, works perfectly with the group stages everything which were amazing as you say and the last 16 and they change it now to a 48 team world cup and, and like there'll be loads of different you know um, um repercussions to this i mean uh, like a, a single nation would probably never host the world cup again i i would say or may you know maybe unless the likes of germany france england something like that but 48 nations is a lot the permutations were it was going to be groups of three now FIFA, after watching this World Cup, change their mind and say, no, no, we're not going to change groups of four. Um, so how that's going to work as well, you know, into the knockout stages. So anyway, I hate the idea, but there's obviously a slightly better chance the likes of Ireland will qualify. And, and should we expect Ireland to be qualifying or, or are we just not at that level now anymore? Yeah, we're, we're probably not at that level at the moment. But the only thing I would be encouraged by is that the team that we have, there's a lot of good young players coming through. Um, you know, just look at the defence. You have Nathan Collins, uh, Omar Bamadeli um, in, in defence. Uh, you have Darrow Shea, another good defender. Um, yeah. So we, we do have young, you know, we have Obafemi and, and Tri Parrot up front and a few other young lads coming through. Aaron Connolly hopefully he can get back to the levels he was at a few years ago. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's probably the next few years are crucial for us. Like, with the way Brexit's mm -hmm. happened, I don't think as many Irish youngsters are going to get over to English clubs. Yeah. Are not, certainly not the same volume that we've had in previous years. No. So how that pans out is going to be probably deciding Ireland's future, really. Like, yeah. will those young players go to Europe? And, you know, and maybe mm. a better education in Europe, uh, you know, yeah. footballing education. I think yeah. We've seen it already. I think there's a few lads have gone to Italy. We've had, you know, young lad from Wexford's gone to Italy to Udinese. Um, we've had a lad from Cork with Inter Milan as well, I think. So, you know, with, with that Brexit, there's a lot of pressure on the FAI then, you know, what to do with those youngsters that aren't going, are we going to yeah. be able to develop them in Ireland? Um, and I think a lot of focus should be put into that, you know, um, because... Yeah. I, I believe we have the coaches, we have we have the yeah. facilities, we have everything. Um, it's just getting the right people in charge of that that process. Um, but I think going forward, I think 
probably the next Euros is, is a bit tough. We're in with France and Holland, you know, I, I can't see progressing out of that. But uh, yeah, but it, it's great experience for the players, you know, like I said, those young defenders coming up against Mbappe and, and yeah. that French team, uh, it can only bring them on. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced about Stephen Kenny yet. I, I yeah. think he's done okay, but not fantastic either. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, what's the alternative? You know, he is trying to play football. You know, give him one more tournament, see how he gets on. Um, mm. But we really need to start to bring through more young players. And we've started that at the moment. Hopefully, you know, with, with them not being able to go to England in the future, that won't um, set us back. But um, mm. yeah, if they can get to Europe, it's, it's as good a football education as anywhere. It'd be good. It'd be great. Yeah, it'd be another kind of avenue. I think and it'd be amazing culturally as well, and they'd mature as young people. Uh, like, actually, with Stephen Kenny, if, if to win, I know it sounds you know obvious, but to win a few more games in the nation league would actually have a massive impact on us as well because. We're, our seeding keeps dropping down further and further. So it means that like we are in a group with the likes of France and Holland and uh, I can't remember, is Serbia in our group as well? Or, uh, or Greece, 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 okay. Okay, so like we're coming up against really good teams, whereas what we need is like to come up, come up against one really top team, another kind of second tier team where we might have a chance of making the playoff and then you know it's the luck of the draw about who you get in the playoff and everything but like because we're losing so many games in and around the tournaments it's just dropping our seeding down further and it makes it even more difficult um but yeah it, it i mean look at croatia like they're they're a country of what five million people yeah, they've been in, population, yeah. yeah they've been in six tournaments as croatia they've got to the final once and semi-final twice yeah. They've come, they're, sorry, they've come second and second once and third twice out of six yeah. tournaments. Yeah. It's incredible. Like I'm not saying we need to do that, but um, you know, with the as you said, right structures and you know, we've a good ed coach education pathway and and stuff like that. Um, there's no reason why we we can't you know do better at least uh, anyway. Okay, great. Thanks, Derek. I have to say I really enjoyed that. I think that was maybe my most enjoyable podcast. You know, so yeah. don't don't say that to Ross Bennett and Joe Coulter and the lads. <laughs> They've only done sixty eight other ones. <laughs> yeah. I I said to you, you were the Johnny Giles of the an uh, analyst, and you said uh, no more Liam Brady. Yeah, uh, maybe even Roger Miller, my first podcast at the age. Yeah, 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 very good. No, okay, brilliant. No, look, no, really enjoyable. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. Great, yeah, really good. I enjoyed it. some really good analysis, and I think you've got an in depth knowledge. Uh, and experience of the players and teams and everything like that and, and obviously a, a real love and grow for the world cup um okay thanks everybody for listening um head over to dailysportscience.com and you can see about membership there we'll be running a sale over the christmas and as i mentioned uh have a look out for sporthorizon.co.uk a new business we're and course we're launching for um data analysis and data visualization okay thanks thanks derek and thanks everybody for listening